everyone, and welcome to another episode of Evolving Engineering and Construction Brands Podcast with your host, Matthew Winkelstein. This week, we are joined by another fantastic yet reluctant guest, Leisha Ball. Leisha Ball is Engaging Perspective's very own director of operations, as well as produces this podcast, typically. But that's not why I wanted to have her on this episode. I wanted to have Leisha on this episode to discuss her experience. Leisha's worked for three of the largest brands in this space. She worked for Siemens. She worked for Johnson Controls. And she worked for Kiwit. She's been an account executive, a regional account executive. She's had multiple roles in marketing, including standing up marketing proposals for Kiwit's power engineering group, which it was at the time a smaller part of the Kiwit organization. She tells a fantastic story about overcoming doubt when one of her bosses didn't believe in her and questioned whether she was right to be in sales. She talks about the difficulties of starting something new and leading a team. She also elaborates on what it's like to produce a large meeting like Kiwa District Events, where there's thousands of people in attendance and thousands of people streaming. At the very end, she gives a couple of her best takeaways for people transitioning careers, and then she shares her gem of a best routine or habit, which she calls her rhythm, is an exemplary way to set your life direction and something I try and emulate. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hey, but before we get in the episode, do me a favor. If you like this, I mean, if you like it, please like and subscribe, give us a review engage with our stuff on social media. It probably doesn't seem like much, but if you're a marketer listening to this, you know the power of engagement. So if this is quality, please let us know. If it's not, we're going to continue to strive to earn that like. Hope you enjoy this episode. So I think I told, oh my gosh, nine or 10 people, Honda. And then when I said it, they were like, oh my gosh, that totally makes sense. And then it sparked a bunch of conversations of what everybody else's favorite brand was and then them wrestling with it and like how it reflected on them. Let's jump into the episode. <laughs> Everyone has that background of your favorite brand. <laughs> I'm flattered that you agreed to come on this podcast episode because even though you are a highly productive contributing member of Engaging Perspectives, this is not your role and not something that you enjoy doing or necessarily volunteer to do. You did this because I want people to understand what your role was like previously and what led to this. And then I also want to do another episode in the future that talks about what your role is in engaging perspectives. That's all for future stuff. Just want to start out with a thank you. And then let's get back into what your favorite brand is. Why don't you tell everyone else what the favorite brand is you told everyone that sparked such conversation? My favorite brand is Honda. It took me a while to get to yeah, I have several favorite brands, but I was like, what is my favorite? And I had to think through what is a brand that's ended decades for me? I thought back to like, oh my gosh, when I was in high school, my parents bought me like this brand new, like cherry red Honda Civic. And I was just like, so in love with it. And I remember like walking out into the garage and it was stick shift and I started crying. So I went from elation to like despair. Cause I was like, I don't even know how to drive this thing. Figured out how to drive stick shift and um, like loved it so much, like all through college, like no one else could drive my car. I was the only one. So I was, yeah, I, I just like loved my car, picking up my sorority sisters at college. So it made me think of like good memories in that regard. And then I have a Honda CRV now, much to my husband's like 
it just, he wants me to get rid of it because it has almost 200,000 miles on it, but I love it so much. So yeah, Honda, it's reliable. I've never been stuck in the snow or rain or ice. Anything like I'm, while everybody else is like stuck in a ditch, I'm like just cruising along in my little Honda. Uh, safety, reliable, dependable, like all the things, budget friendly. Like, you know how much I love being like really wise with my money. So it's very budget friendly and like my husband can usually fix it. It's not expensive to maintain. The gas mileage is phenomenal. It checks a lot of boxes for you. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I can understand that. And one of the things I appreciate about you, I know other people that are very cost conscious, but they're typically driving at some like large number of wealth for random reasons. You are very particular about what you spend money on. So you can spend money on the right things. Yeah. You drive a Honda CRV still that has 200,000 miles on it, but you also drink $20 worth of adaptogens daily. So <laughs> it's, you put your money in the right space and I can appreciate that. Honda, reliability, safety, affordability. Leisha is, that's, that's Leisha's jam. Amen. Uh, all right, Leisha. I asked you to be on this episode because you have a, rich history of being in marketing in this space. You also have the benefit of being in business development previously in this space. Why don't you tell us, how did you get into the energy space out of college? What made you choose Siemens? And then tell us what it was like to work there. I went to Kansas State University, was in international business marketing. And so I traveled abroad, did a lot of overseas trips. And I one of our trips was to Germany and I, the headquarters in Munich, I saw Siemens. Didn't really know what it was at the time, but I was like, there's some recognition there. And then they were recruiting at K-State and I did an interview with them. And I think my initial thought was, oh, I'm going to get a job with them. And I really wanted to go on the medical side, actually. My childhood health journey had a lot of MRIs and I remember being in the Siemens like MRI machines. And so I was starting to connect dots there. And they were hiring in their building technologies division. So I was like, my initial entry point was like, oh, I'll just go work for them and then jump over to the medical side. In a sense, stumbled into the in construction and innovation side of the business and then just stayed there. You had success at Siemens. You were promoted at Siemens before you went to Johnson Controls. So when did you realize that, hey, this energy space might be for me? Or were you still kind of feeling your way through your career when you took that promotion? I'll back up a little bit and even talk about what I did at Siemens. So business development was in a leadership development program with a lot of new college graduate hires. I sold a financial solution called energy performance contracting, which is basically we would go into government entities, K through 12, federal buildings, and basically propose a financial solution to upgrade their equipment. So like new boilers, new windows, new lighting to be more energy efficient and then offer a financial mechanism to be able to pay for those infrastructure improvements through the utility savings that, that they would realize over a period of 10 or 15 or 20 years. I was, yeah, 23, 24. These are like multi-million dollar deals, like year or two year long sales cycles. So it was like pretty daunting. Like how do I call on like a superintendent of a school district or a city manager of a municipality? Like I'm just, I just felt like I was just a kid. So anyway, Found some success there at Siemens doing that. And then, yeah, had a lot of lessons there. But your question of kind of transitioning on or like getting promoted at Johnson Controls, there was a couple of reason sh reasons I shifted over to Johnson Controls. I ended up still selling energy performance contracting, but it was just on a larger, larger scale, bigger deals, which I was wanting that type of challenge in that season of my life. 
did you know anyone at Johnson Controls that from your Siemens days or how did you get recruited by Johnson Controls? My mentor at Siemens, he was like a 30 year vet. And he said, if you want to learn account management, the best in the industry was Oscar Rangel. He was the best at nurturing relationships and large client organizations. He just was fantastic. He would have relationships that went back 10 or 20 years of clients that just adored him still and just kept working with him and referring him. We were doing a walkthrough at a school district project and I had met him. And then, so he wanted to recruit me to come to Johnson Controls. And I thought I can't miss this opportunity to work for Oscar. So (laughs) we still Uh, keep in touch all these years later, which is really fun. That's fantastic. You met your future boss at a job walk when they were both bidding on the same opportunity. I think that says a lot about your personality too. Now you've been in business development, you've been selling these complex relationship-based opportunities. I'm asking you to look back retroactively because you you have the marketing experience now. What were some of the big things you learned at business development that you ended up applying in marketing as you transitioned from Johnson Controls to Kiwit? I think half the battle is showing up. That's kind of a mantra I sort of say to myself, like if I ever feel tension, like, oh, I don't know, is this worth it? Or is it is this worth looking into or having that conversation? push through that tension and just show up. I say that because I found a lot of success at Siemens and then translated that over to Johnson Controls with these bigger projects is at Siemens, I was working on K through 12 and and with municipalities. I'd go sit in several school district meetings just to really understand what are my customers' pain points? Let me get a pulse on what's going on. What are their customers' customers complaining about? What are their pain points that they really have to service? We're in a municipality. Who's showing up to these city council meetings? Who's getting really upset What are they saying their successes are? I would sit and I would listen to that and I would take notes. And one of my mentors told me for every 10 minutes that you're in front of a customer, you need to have researched for an hour. If I had an hour meeting with a customer, I better have spent six hours researching ahead of time before that conversation. And I thought that that was a really good piece of advice because I would be able to sit down with, you know, let's say a cold call and I actually get a meeting with the city manager, for example, I have spent hours researching, understanding, sitting in meetings, like able to really speak to their pain points and kind of flesh out, like, are they really a good candidate for what we have to offer? And can we actually help them? Like, I don't want to just sell something to them. I actually want it to be a win-win for everybody and really provide a solution. So that when I was in business development, I think helped me in marketing because I could connect with our business development managers and excavate what are you really trying to say? Uh, what does our customers really value? Let's really get to the heart of the matter. The thing that I like about that is beyond even what the business development folks think you're going to, in that instance, your customers' customers. Um, you know, That's something you and I experience quite frequently with our thought leaders and with some of our customers when we're just running their marketing where they think they know what they want to say to the customer, but they're not quite sure why the customer wants to know it. And it creates that tension point for us even where it's, hey, why does your customer actually want to know this? And if we can't answer that, honestly, they probably don't want to and the content's going to fall short. And so you took that proactive approach of, hey, not what does Siemens want to tell these customers? What does Siemens want me to pitch? What are they dealing with? What is it like in their meetings? And then what are their customers, the stakeholders, the community, what are they actually saying? And so for you to be able to go out and get that information, I think is 
is extremely important. It's one of the things that I see people fall short a lot on. It's the information is out there. You just have to go get it. And if you're willing to go get it, your content gets even better. Your strategy gets even better because you know more, you understand more, you can get to that nuanced detail. So I think that's a fantastic learning that anyone can apply. Do you have a story from either Siemens or Johnson Controls that you wouldn't mind sharing? I think a story that's probably worth sharing I share it because I think of just young professionals just starting their career. When I was at Siemens, my first project was the city of Glenwood Springs, Colorado and selling them an energy performance contract. But broad brush strokes, that sounds like, oh, I just sold a, this big project. Like, no, it was like very hard one. I lost it multiple times before I won it. I went to so many city council meetings. They had the, the energy performance contract we ended up doing with them was for replacing water meters and street lights and as you can imagine, there's a lot Big of deal. engagement with that, you know, in this beautiful, beautiful Colorado town. I think when I went into the organization, I wasn't necessarily speaking with decision makers, but more so influencers. And I didn't figure that out until I, until it was like, I think this is going a little bit slower than it needs to be. Like, I was hoping I'd be able to close this first deal by now. And this new guy came into the organization at Siemens, we'll call him Joe, Joe Manager. And I remember he went to a meeting with me and I was presenting and on the way back to the office, he was like, I don't know if you're made for sales. I don't think that you're, I don't know if you're made for this. And I just remember I dropped him back off at the office. I went home and I just cried the entire weekend because I thought I wasn't made for this. I went through this leadership development program. I thought I was making traction. It's not happening fast enough. And then going through, do I need to leave Siemens? I thought I loved doing this. What else am I going to do instead? Just like all this turmoil. I just really reached out to people that knew me and believed in me. My family, I had some really good friends, some really good mentors that just said, hey, don't listen to that. They're projecting that onto you. They've known you for five minutes. Joe Manager has known you for five minutes. Be who you are. Like, it's not about sales. It's about relationships. And you know how to do relationships. And so I say that because I felt like I had to push through that and lean on the voices that were supportive and ended up redirecting and like finding the decision makers at the city, ultimately closing the deal. I think it turned into a multi-phase deal over the years. Yeah. I say that story because it's just, it was so hard in the moment. And I look back and I just think like, oh, little Leisha, like you knew what you were doing. You just need to stay on the path. Like don't, don't get distracted by the noise. Like just push through it. Joe manager. Did he have reason that what was his reasons that he said you don't he didn't think you were going to make in business development? You know what? Looking back, I don't even I can't even recall why he would do that. I don't know if maybe it was because I wasn't his personality or I wasn't aggressive enough, potentially. I don't know if I could pinpoint the funny thing that happened later is I think I was at Johnson Controls or towards the end of my my tenure at Johnson Controls. And I remember him, Joe Manager, reaching out to me on LinkedIn, asking me for a job. Like, hey, I saw this job opening at Johnson Controls. Can you put my resume in? And I thought, what? Like, this is a <laughs> this is a wild story I could never write. Another fantastic example of why you just treat everyone well. You never know that she's going to be on the other foot. And comical, because I bet Joe Manager didn't even realize. He probably thought he was reaching out. Leisha's going to get me this job. <laughs> wow. Comical. You had a successful business development career at Siemens and at Johnson Controls been promoted multiple times at both locations. Now you transition to Kiwit and you jump into marketing. What caused that transition? What caused you to look at Kiwit? I loved business development. I loved the team that I was ultimately working on at Johnson Controls. We had this 
national team. Got to travel to glorious places all over the United States. Um, But I had my life plan facilitated by one of my friends. And I just realized, oh my gosh, I cannot keep up this pace of travel. Like my, my life doesn't feel balanced or integrated. Like I need to make a shift because flying out every Sunday night and coming home every Friday, it was, I knew it would take a toll on me eventually. So And it was starting to take a toll on me a little bit. So I moved back to Kansas City. I was living in Denver at the time. I moved back to Kansas City. And I actually don't know how I ran across QIP. But I, one of my really intentional decisions is I wanted a role that was non-travel and based in Kansas City near my family. So obviously in the engineering and construction space, because that was my background and I really enjoyed it. So that was, again, intentionally kind of stumbling into... Qit. <laughs> My role at Qit when I first started was marketing and proposal manager. So one of the things that I was tasked with standing up was the proposal processes and market some internal marketing processes as well for the engineering side of the business. Those proposals were a little bit smaller in nature than our construction side of the business. They turned around a little bit more quickly. So historically, I don't think they were getting the attention and processes and just support with our our subject matter experts as they probably needed to be. So standing up that process was part of my role. And then just like typical kind of marketing roles within these larger organizations. So running events, running district meeting, doing internal executive presentations, some client client presentations. Build a small team, did that for a couple of years, and then it grew pretty rapidly and we split off. So somebody ran the proposal side and I chose to run the marketing side. After you stood up that group, you transitioned and you created the process for Kiwit to post on social media across all of our different brands. And you planned, organized, strategized that. Do you want to talk a little bit about that role and what that looked like? Yeah, this is different than just sending marketing collateral to a client or giving a client presentation. There's a little bit of that internal selling process. And then, yeah, building out that roadmap or that strategy of like, where are we now? Where do we want to go? And like, what are the processes and parameters that we need to put in place to get there? I can recall you being in that role. And at this time, you and I, our past kind of diverged a little bit with Inside Kiwit. And I can just remember asking for help on something that you weren't actually working on. And you just happened to show me this monstrous spreadsheet that had all the different brands, when they were posting, what they were going to be posting about. And this was outside of the posting platform because not every group even used the posting platform. So I, I was very impressed with what you were doing there and how well you organized the company. And it's a process that the company still utilizes today to keep all the content organized. As our listeners can imagine, Keywood is a large organization in itself that posts a lot. There's also Keyways Magazine. And then there's also all these different branded entities within inside of Keywoods. Leisha was responsible for organizing all of that, including approvals from Corpcom and approvals from business units. So that was uh, no easy task. That is true. All right. I'm going to back up a little bit and focus on your Kiwa journey. First, I'm going to tell the story of how Leisha and I met because I think it's interesting. When I was being recruited by Kiwa, I was passionate about reaching customers digitally. I felt like the way that we went to market and the way that we 
communicate with customers was antiquated and that they were changing the way that they consumed information. And so I couldn't have articulated it that clearly then, but I had that feeling inside of me from business development and past experience. So I started Kiwit. We're both working for the same innovative boss, John Gribble, fantastic leader. And he was open to trying different things from a digital marketing standpoint. And the very first time I met Leisha, I fly to Kansas City my first week, John sets up all these interviews or all these meetings so I can meet everyone in the organization. And I have two meetings with marketing professionals. One was Sharice Meyer, and I said the same thing to her. And then the other one was Leisha Harrison at the time, Leisha Harrison Ball now. My other meeting was with Leisha and Leisha can vouch for this. I said, I'm going to be your best friend. We are going to achieve things together. I am on your team. I believe we need to be doing more digital marketing. I believe it is the way that business development needs to function. You and I are going to be best friends. What are you working on? Yes, that was 100% true. Who knew? The whole trajectory <laughs> our careers would change at that moment. Yes. I, I think I remember you saying that and I kind of backed up like, oh, this guy, this guy. I remember. I can remember that because you're like, you know, you just met me and I'm like, we're going to be best friends. Like I am on your team. Let's work on this stuff together. And I think you probably thought it was a little bit full of it at that time, but within a couple months, we were working on a project together. We were working on a project to figure out how do we interact with customers digitally, specifically through social media campaigns. And so we worked on bringing in an agency in the organization. And uh, actually we flew to St. Louis together two days before my first son was born, which was chaotic in itself, but got that trip in, met with the agency, realized that that wasn't the right fit for us and what we were trying to do. And so we got to take on this project together. And Leisha and I were the first ones to run targeted advertisement campaigns to generate opportunities with inside of Kiwit. We are focused on storm damage assessment from our power delivery group. And that was the first opportunity we had to work on a campaign. And one thing I want to say here for marketers, other people are thinking about trying this, uh, the organization gave us permission to do it. They didn't say, here's a large budget. Here's a bunch of resources. Leisha and I had to figure that stuff out together. Every line of copy, every target in the ad, every graphic, all of that came from us. <laughs> and support from our internal team to get the graphics done. But we didn't have a lot of help for that. We launched, that was successful. We generated some opportunities in uh, storm damage assessment. And then fast forward, we end up going our separate ways. That's where Leisha takes over more of the social media side. And then I took on demand generation and we were only able to work together parts and pieces. Then Leisha ultimately ends up leaving Kiwit for very personal reasons that isn't worth talking about in a podcast episode. And four months after that, I decide I'm going to leave Kiwit, not because I don't like Kiwit, because I want to focus on engaging perspectives full time. After that, Leisha and I started working on her business together. She decided she wanted to be in this business a little bit more than she wanted to run her business at the time. So that's how we ended up here together. Uh, We're still best friends. Yep. Still, still best happy. friends. Still getting better every day. Uh, yes. <laughs> Fantastic to work with, not only from a personal standpoint, she has a bubbly personality, but from a professional standpoint, she is extremely organized and strategic, even though she is insanely tactical from a task and details level, something I am definitely not. Um, 
So that's our story of Kiwit. That's her story of Kiwit. That's how we ended up really working together initially. And then how we ended up being in engaging perspectives together. I think there's some lessons here for marketers and for our audience. I want to move past the story and get into some specific questions about your role. What lessons did you learn transitioning from BD to marketing? Do the best you can to understand your primary customer and what your primary customer values and have, have tension and even disagreement around some of that. Like you and I can say, Hey, this is our, our primary customer and what we value. And I may, you may say that, and I may disagree with it, but let's have that conversation. Let's work through that tension and see where it actually lands. I think that's a really important lesson that I've learned. A personal lesson I've learned from transitioning from BD to marketing is I'll go a little bit personal here. I think building a team is really hard. I have so much respect just for you. You're just a natural leader, kind of the tip of tip of the arrow. You're drawn towards that. And I, yeah, again, I have such great respect for building a team because business development is so different than, than yeah, running a team. I mean, business development, you can be really likable all the time. Like you're paid to be really likable all the time and just meet people and build relationships. I think for me, one of the personal lessons that I had was when I got into management, I was like, oh, I can't just be a people pleaser all the time. Like I have to maybe fire some people and I have to confront people and I have, there's some internal politics that I have to navigate. I think that would, for me, that was a personal lesson that management looks glorious, but it's really, really hard. <laughs> well said, well said. So I was I was a leader before I was in business development and I can just affirm how difficult it is going back and forth. Uh, just even when I got into business development, I was like, oh, I don't have a team anymore. This is 10 times easier. And then to your point, you you get used to being liked in most of the situations that you're in because you're adding value to both sides, right? If you do it right, you're adding value for the customer and for the company. Then you get out of that and you have a team again and it's like, ah, this is really uncomfortable. This is more uncomfortable in some of the stuff having these hard conversations, but that is what it takes. So yes, that is a good one. Um, especially people that are in business development that want to transition to leading a team. Um, have fun. Now it's there. It is very rewarding, but it's different than most people think. And it, it takes a commitment to do it right. Um, so you produced district meeting multiple times for Kiwit. And if you're not in Kiwit, you probably don't know what district meeting is. District meeting is what I'll call the largest propaganda machine I've ever seen in my entire life. And I mean that in a completely positive way. So Kiwit within each one of their business units has a large meeting with each one of the districts. And in this meeting, there's multiple presenters and there's presenters at the executive level and at the individual contributor level. And they do a phenomenal job from content, switching from presentations every 30 minutes or so, adding videos that come across. And when you leave this meeting, you're like, I'm ready to run through the wall for Kiwit. The first meeting I went to, I left on just a complete high texting everyone I used to work with. Like, this is the best company ever. This is insane. All the stuff they're doing. It was a lot of fun, but behind the scenes from that, it takes a lot of effort to produce that much content for thousands of people in a live audience. Then also for thousands of people streaming it all across the United States. And in some instances, Canada and Mexico. What did you learn from a process and organization standpoint to produce a meeting of that size, scale and importance? My planner strategic side kicked in pretty intensely. I think just doing everything as 
far in advance as possible and really pushing the executives who are presenting for those 20, 30 minutes at a time. Just we're here's my schedule or here's our schedule. You're going to adhere to it, whether you like it or not forcing the executives to practice, practice, practice presentations. It's very vulnerable, I think, a vulnerable space for a lot of executives, maybe contrary to what you would think, to get in front of a crowd of 1,000 or 1,500 people and present. You think, oh, they do this all the time. They're always presenting, like speaking off the cuff. But it's such a different environment. I mean, it's, it's different than giving a workshop or just speaking to your team. It's There's different ingredients that need to be in play. Where are you standing on the stage? What happens if you forget your lines? Like you do not want to be, that presenter doesn't want to be figuring that out for the first time on stage and then feeling really humiliated. My push was always let's practice 10 times, 20 times if we need to over weeks or months ahead of time. So you can work all of that out so that when you get on stage, it's on autopilot. It's no big deal. So that's one of the things that I learned is laying out a process, laying out a roadmap, and almost irritating the executives or the presenters that I were working that I was working with and just making them present. I found that once I got them to practice one or two times, they almost became like addicted to it and they wanted to practice more and more and more because they knew that the stakes were so high and they really needed to deliver a compelling captivating presentation when they were on that district meeting stage. And the stage is the Civic Center in downtown Kansas City, the Performing Arts Center in Kansas. Keywood has a large enough stage inside the office, let alone this. It's a large stage. Is there anything you learned with helping executives tell their stories that you apply today or other people can learn? And helping the executives or really any presenters to tell their story, helping them push beyond just comfortable, technical, dry, high-level stuff, and really helping them to get into personal, emotional. What's your personal story? Why are you passionate about this? What got, just asking questions and helping to excavate that from their journey, their experiences, and then helping them weave that into the overall presentation. I think that's probably the biggest piece. It's hard to do, but And some people don't want to go there. Some people don't want to get really personal and integrate that in. But if we can get like a story out of them or yeah, help them connect with a personal journey or or trial that they've navigated and weaving that in, I think that really connects with a larger audience. Absolutely. And you continue to do that. You continue to do a fantastic job of that at engaging perspectives with our clients. A big component of what we do is standing up thought leadership programs for executives so they can communicate with their employees, potential employees, customers, and potential customers. If you do that in a dry manner, it doesn't work. So you continue to bring that perspective and engaging perspectives, and we greatly appreciate it. There's a quote that comes to mind. I think it's Malcolm Gladwell. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. It's so important to communicate that in one-on-one conversations with people. And even again, in a larger district meeting presentation where you're speaking to thousands, like show people that you actually care. And then they'll really lean in and listen to what you have to say. Yes. Uh, Easier said than done. And if you need help doing it, reach out to us. We know how to do it, but it is definitely one of those things that it's a, it's an easier thing to say that you're going to do than it is to actually execute. I'm going to group these questions here at the end. The first question I want you to think about is you transitioned from business development, marketing. You were also in marketing in a 
a multi-billion dollar organization. And you also worked for three of the largest brands in energy. Are there a couple takeaways that you want to leave our audience with? Then the last question I'll ask you is what's your best routine or habit? I have good routines and habits, or I thought I did. And Leisha, through her actions and through what she does, continues to help me grow, which has been phenomenal. Before we get into that, do you have a couple pieces of advice you'd like to share with our audience about what it was like working for the largest brands in this space or what it was like transitioning from business development to marketing? Looking back, finding a mentor was most helpful for me. Mentors and allies, just surrounding yourself with those types of people, because I think it reduces the learning curve and yeah, reduces the learning curve and just helps you to get integrated into the organization more quickly. And then you get to sort of absorb all of the tacit knowledge that this individual has learned in a particular space over the years and just really garner that wisdom. So mentor, ally, ally, and finding an executive champion to help you navigate the challenges that will be ahead of you. I know that in our experience, just even launching new initiatives around demand generation or different marketing initiatives, I had a couple different executive champions that would say, okay, here's here, let me coach you to get through these different hurdles, or you're going to get this kind of pushback. And here's how we're going to work around it so that you can actually, so that I could actually launch those initiatives. So I think those are some pieces of advice I'd probably share with somebody going through that kind of transition. If I could add a little more perspective, because I've been a part of some of these conversations, Leisha doesn't have an executive champion that she just brings problems to. It's hey, here's the problem. Here is one way I thought about solving it. Here's another way I thought about solving it. Here's what my next steps are. So you have to distill that information to where it's consumable for them in the moment so they can give you that good advice. If you bring a problem, most of them aren't even going to engage and try and help you because it looks like you're not putting the effort in, right? But also they don't have the context to actually inform that decision because you have all the context. So you have to be able to provide that to your executive coach or to your mentor, whoever it is, so they can actually help you. Thank you, Leisha, for taking a part in the show. Why don't you take us off with your best routine or habit? And then we'll say goodbye to our audience. I love it. Oh, I love this question so much because I love routine and habits. One rhythm, I guess, is maybe a word I would put to it is I had my life plan facilitated years ago, which really influenced me to obviously shift gears vocationally. But every three to four months, I used to have to schedule it on the calendar. And then now my body almost like prompts it. And I feel like, oh, I need to do this. But I sit down with my life plan, which is really like a roadmap of my life. What are my core values? What's my life mission statement? My life purpose statement? What are these actions that I'm doing or activating to get me towards my vision statement. So I sit down with that on a quarterly basis. I do a self-assessment like, okay, we call it four helpful lists, but what's going right in my life? What's going wrong? What's confused and what's missing? And I look at all the domains, all spiritual, vocational, with my community, with my family. And I just, I take a 30,000 foot view of all of that. And I write all that I write all that down and see what core issues are rising up. And the reason I do that, it's a way to check into myself and just see like, Hey, let me pull out like my life compass. Am I still going North? And do I want to be going North? So it's really a way to honor. Yeah. Again, what's my life plan? Am I going the direction that I want to go in? I do that on a rhythmic quarterly basis. And then I do a real overhaul every year. And I think 
Dave had his life plan facilitated a couple of years ago. So it's been really a really rich rhythm to sit down with our life plans together and just say, okay, as we're growing our family, as we're looking at the future, how am I honoring his life plan and supporting him and what he wants to achieve and his goals and wishes and desires? And what does that look like as a family? What are our family, you know, what's our family mission and vision statement? Like what are our core values collectively? And um how do we live those out on a day-to-day basis? So that's my favorite life rhythm, I think. And I've been doing that for, I think about over a decade now. So I'd say my daily, can I say my daily best routine habit? I love my morning coffee so much. I love checking the mail. I love getting the mail. So I'd say, I don't know if there's any benefit to that, but I just love getting the mail and like processing through it and organizing and paying my bills perfectly on time. So it's kind of a nerdy, nerdy habit that I have. You learned a lot about Leisha with her favorite daily routine that also is the same favorite daily routine as my 70-year-old grandmother, but we will not hold that against Leisha. I really appreciate the all of your rhythms, but your life plan and how you have a destination that you're headed towards and that you check in frequently, consistently to make sure you're headed in that direction. That's fantastic. And something that I've picked up on the last couple of years. Leisha, thank you again. You have a fantastic day. I can't wait to hang up this podcast and start working on something else together. I love it. Thanks, Matt. Bye, Leisha. Bye, Leisha.